Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 20 and 21 of Eye of the World. Dust on the wind and listen to the wind. Enjoy. All right, so episode eleven, we're uh, moving on into the double digits. I think uh, you know episode ten was with the Black Tower last time. Now we're uh, well into uh, getting close to those teens episodes. Um, want to give a couple of shout outs real fast. I know I've said this already. Want to say it again. Thanks Black Tower last week for coming on. Um, it was a really fun episode, despite technical difficulties on our end, and also just with uh, you know uh, recording uh, software and things like that. But uh, uh, really enjoyed having them on. Hopefully in the future we can have them on again. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. I'm already talking with some other people as far as doing some collaborations, doing something in the future again. Uh, we're not going to do this off, super often, maybe like once every 10 episodes or so. Um, uh, we'll, we'll have someone on. Uh, that, that seems like a good number. Um, and then uh, other announcements. Um, unfortunately, Jordan Con was canceled. Um, I know last uh, episode when we recorded it, it hadn't been canceled yet. But the time it was released, it was already canceled. So some people actually messaged me and said, "Like, you know, it was canceled, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, we were well aware. Just we recorded a week ahead." So um, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> these news, yeah. So sometimes the news is not quite there yet. So now we know JordanCon is canceled. We're excited about next year. Hopefully, there's no crazy pandemic uh, virus going around next year, and uh, they have it in a. Uh, and, and we can we can we can do something um, something there, you know. For that weekend, um, you know, I've been talking with Ian and Chris, and um, we might talk more, but um, figure out something we might do with you guys. Um, whether it's just do a and you know, that Saturday get together and do a live like Q and A on our Discord, or um, or, or something that's not necessarily an episode, but just something something extra for you know open to everyone. Um, just because I know, yeah, a bummer. So we'll figure something out. We'll do we'll do something for Jordan Con week weekend. How about that? We'll cook out and eat, go live, and you guys can watch as we talk. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> we'll just we'll get really really drunk and just start talking. So uh, how about that? There you go. Uh, <laughs> Don't do that every other night. <laughs> well, that, that's that's what we we're gonna do, John Jordan Con anyway, right? <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> so we'll just do the same thing, just inside our living rooms. All right. We need a um, recipe for those cakes too oh the honey cakes so yeah um is it nabless so nabless um uh he's a youtuber he did a live stream today and actually i uh, was talking about doing a live youtube cooking show making wheel of time recipes so honey cakes is one Yay. thing that was- <laughs> so so uh yeah there might be a wheel of time cooking show um uh coming up at least an episode or two so we'll see that's a, fu- a fun idea so yeah, honey cakes. But um, as, as far as life going on, of course, everybody knows everybody's pretty much quarantined or, or, or some like thereof. Um, you know, some states, obviously, in some countries are more shut down than others. Um, uh, here in Virginia, uh, we're not 100% shut down yet uh, as of recording this. I have to say that probably by the time it's, it's, this is released, we might be. <laughs> but but <laughs> as of right now, we're not. We can still move around. But, uh, but I mean, I've been self-quarantined anyway. Um, for the most part with very limited besides my immediate family interaction. Um, 
And, and that's pretty much been life for a while now, but um, I'll let you guys talk about the, you know, the last week and everything like that um, for you guys. Well, for me, it's been interesting because um, though our schools are shut down, uh, I'm a 12 month employee. So I have to work, I work in the IT department. And so I have been learning a lot of new things on the fly, learning zoom conferencing, learning Google classrooms, learning um, just a couple of different techniques, uh, virtual Virginia, d- ways that we can educate our kids digitally. And though I'm, again, not a teacher, I am in the IT field, so I have to be there as support staff. And though those things are outside of my purview, it seems like they're becoming more and more a part of my realm. <laughs> and with the current uncertainty um, as to what's going to happen next, um, they may become more and more important to my job over the next week or two. Um, I can tell you right now that we've already canceled our standard of learning, which is our standardized test. So kids will be happy to know that everything that they're learning is just for the pure joy of learning and they won't be tested on it at the end of the year. Um, and by tomorrow at two o'clock, we may be shutting our schools down permanently, you know, until September that is. So <sighs> we will see how goes <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i i was picked as one of two people to stay back at the office while everybody started their telework last week and a day into that uh this is in maryland a day into that they shut down all the gyms and everything like they did everywhere else and all the restaurants and uh, i've mentioned to you all before i live out on a boat so uh did a little self-reflection on how I generally spend my free time and what, what my day-to-day would look like at that point. And I had to talk with my boss and I was like, look, uh, want to do this for you to help the team out. But just from a mental standpoint, there's no way, you know, I can work a eight, 10 hour day, go sit on the boat, total isolation, uh, all those social outlets that I had and going to the gym. I mean, that was a big one. Uh, all of those gone. There was just no way I was going to keep doing that. So I bugged out. I'm back down in Hampton Roads, not far from uh, from where Alan and Chris are, and uh, riding it out. And so, you know, I log on every day and then complain like everybody else that the VPN is crazy slow and we can't get anything done. And that's, that's mm-hmm. pretty much been it for almost a week now. Sure. <laughs> so, t- sounds about right. I saw I saw a meme the other day about like you know everyone having to switch to homeschooling their kids, you know, and. and, 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 and Lack of pitchers, you know, first day at school pitchers, uh, first day at home school pitchers. There's, you know, yeah. no, <laughs> no one's putting no, yeah. put the pitchers up. <laughs> anyway. Uh, one so far is if you see me talking to myself, I'm having a parent-teacher conference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's all another one where some guy's like, when do I get these legendary teacher work days? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard so much about it. Uh, yeah. So, um Quick predictions, uh, cover those from last time before we get into chapter 20. Um, predictions from last time was that parent is a block. Um, and Matt stole some treasure. Uh, that was one of uh, the horn uh, that, that they keep on talking about is actually in the treasure room at Shatter Logoth. Um, Rand needs to dump Egwene or lose his legs. And the last one was that Ian <laughs> needs a better battery charger. So, um, which you got a new phone, right? Uh, or at least you're, you're, you're getting one. So. I did. Uh, yeah. Well, new to me, I got the Galaxy Note 9. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I almost had it set up before we started here, but ran out of time. So next recording, I'll have that. Cool. Sounds good. So 
hopefully things go well. Um, so yeah, let's just move right on to chapter 20, uh, Dust on the Wind. Um, so our symbol is our Trollocs. So um, yeah, as, as Ian has mentioned before, our, our rockers. Um, yes, so, the metalheads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you guys want to talk about this symbol? I mean, obviously, uh, we, we, we're running the Trollocs in this chapter. I think there's not much uh, um, as far as surprise there. When you see a Trolloc symbol, there's going to be Trollocs. Um, yeah, we just figured yeah. shit's about to go down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, look over your shoulder. They're coming. All right. So we start right where we left off. They're leaving that building, uh, walking out of the horses. Um, they're being quiet. Um, and the shadows are seeming to move like in the corner of their eyes for that. And, and, um, and, but the eyes are all gone and Rand is like wondering why. And as he's kind of sitting there kind of self-reflecting, he starts to fall behind. Um, and a tendril of smoke or fog, that smoke of fog starts to, you know, separates him from Moraine and land and the others. And, uh, they get, cu- they get cut off and, and Moraine yells stop. So, uh, that's the kind of the first scene I wanted to talk about was was when uh, you know when we came to this 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 fog uh, that we get a name it's called Mashindar um, and and Rain says you know if you touch it you'll die so let's talk about it so I think it's pretty interesting looking at Rand's uh, thought he goes you know at least the eyes are gone and then he had like a momentary relief and then it's like oh wait where are they gone? So he literally had this moment of like question mark in his head. He's like, you know what? This is kind of weird. So you can see that Rand still has this intuition that, you know, there's something amidst, there's something that's not, not quite right. And then, like you said, we learned exactly what that is, but it's like after like them getting essentially separated from Moraine, and land slightly and then like Moraine's like oh wait oh my goodness they're missed you guys need to stop because and then she kind of goes into the explanation of the evil of uh Shadar I can never say it Shadar Logoth Logoth excuse me Logoth (laughs) Mashadar which is really cool I mean I think it's very interesting like right away she gives like a strangled cry like she doesn't want everybody she needs everybody to hear her but she doesn't want to voice where she's at because she knows that there's danger inside the walls knowing that there's trollocs there but then the sense of urgency was in her voice and everybody kind of just froze and then she's like the unseeing unthinking moving uh, through the city as aimless as a worm burrowing through the earth if you touch it you will die Mm. yeah Mm. Yeah, and and back to his thoughts, you know, with the eyes being gone. Hey, that's cool, but wait, why are they gone? And then we get introduced to this this fog that's rolling in. It's uh, it's not like this. It's not good versus evil. It's not like this fog is just on the bad guy side. This is a, a chaotic evil that just it doesn't discriminate sort of thing. So even all the other evil presence that they've run into so far, and I would say pre- presumably at this point, but of course we've read the rest of this chapter. We know even the uh, the the Trollocs and whatnot are are pretty scared of of this as well. So, sure. So you know, Moraine says that she'll find them. That obviously you can't touch it. If it touches it, you, you die. Um, and and points to a red star and says, you know, follow that star, and uh, and that will lead you to the river. Um, and, and you know that that that's that's kind of their game plan is is just start heading that way. So, um, 
you know, you learn a couple of things about Mashed R2 here that's mindless, um, but it was it's still a hunt. Um, and I'll draw this analogy of jellyfish. So, um, you know, growing up in the area we grew up in, um, uh, we have jellyfish everywhere in the summertime, uh, especially between the, the, the months of July and August. If you go swimming in the James River, which is a salt, salt water river um, right next to Tissue Bay, uh, it, it's full of jellyfish. Um, and, and the way jellyfish work, they don't have brains. They just kind of float along and swim. And if they sense any kind of disturbance or I guess it's the electrical pulses of muscles movement, they dart out and wrap around and attack that as food. So, you know, they still sense food, but they don't have like minds and don't hunt like, you know, like a sentient being would. They just kind of randomly drift around and get too close to them. They can sense you as food and and try to grab you. So I, I just always pictured Mashadar kind of like the way a jellyfish acts. So <laughs> I think Ian can back me up on that. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, we, we've had many a summers of, what, tubing out on the river. And there's some days you go out there and it's just so thick, you see them everywhere. So you know you're going to get stung. Uh, but whoever's on the tube, you wipe out and you quickly try and just float on top of the water without moving. Because if you move, it's like you just get swarmed and, and completely wrapped up in them. Uh, but yeah, there's mm-hmm. plenty of times we made it back to the pier and we were shaking jellyfish out of our shorts. Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, so um, they're 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 moving away. It's like a maze going through this city, you know, trying to find their way, following the star. Um, and and they come around a corner and there's an entire wall of Mashadar. It's it has this faint light to it. And around the same time as this, they run into Trollocs. And you know, the scene's just kind of. I, I think it's a uh, not humorous. That's not the right word for it, but it's, it, it's a great way of describing, describing it. Like, yeah, I thought this was cool. Yeah. It's... So, so my favorite line uh, on, on these two pages, it's the only one I got underlined, but it's a great moment. Uh, it says for an instant, the humans and the Trollocs just stared at one another, each more surprised than the other. Uh, so before we've had the Trollocs just like very aggressively, actively hunting them. Uh, but, but now with them both seem brought surprised, it's almost like, I mean, obviously our guys did not want to run into Trollocs. I feel like the Trollocs also were hoping to just kind of follow their orders, tiptoe through there, make it out and not run into anything, you know, cause they're just as freaked out and being in there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty comical. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool because um, just before that moment, like the group was kind of together. They were in one mind. They were seemingly following Rand and Rand felt like he was obligated to lead the crew. So he's just like everyone was staring at him, wondering which way to go. He turned cloud and the gray broke into a half trot tugging uh, um, the reins to go faster as if moving first had made him the leader. Everyone followed. It's like you have this the group following him, he feels like he's distinguished himself. And then all of a sudden, boom, two Trollocs step out and shit goes sideways. <laughs> <laughs> right. They, they scatter, they scatter like a uh, hens with a Fox in the hen house, you know, like just, uh, you think about like, just, you know, or turn a light on a cockroach is just scattered everywhere. You know, they don't no clear path, just run for their lives. Um, um, and that's, yeah, and, that's, and that's I'll- I'll give Rand credit for this. He tried to continue to lead like right when he saw them and went to break away. He, he shouted, you know, this way as if to get everybody to go with him. Uh, but <laughs> the moment he shouted, 
he heard everybody else screaming the same thing and going off in different directions. So sure. it, it fell apart quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. So now Rand's being chased. There's no sense. There's no way he can go back and regroup because now they're being chased by a Trolloc and fade and a fade. Um, and, um, as they're getting chased, obviously the Trolloc gets too close to the Mashadar. And this is when we get the first description of what happens when you touch it. So, um, uh, it, it's a pretty, I really do. I, I love the way they describe it. It's just like the thickening tentacles of fog swung uncertainly for a moment, then struck like vipers speaking about attacking the Trolloc and the half man. It's at least two latched to each Trolloc bathing them in gray light muzzled heads went back to scream, but the fog rolled over open mouths and in eating the howls. Four leg-thick tentacles whipped around the fade, and the half-man and its black horse twitched as if dancing till the cow fell back, bearing the pale face, pale eyeless face. The fade shrieked. There was no sound from the cry any more than from the trollocs, but something came through, a piercing whine just beyond hearing, like all the hornets in the world digging in Turan's ear with all the fear that could exist. Cloud convulsed as if he too heard and ran harder than ever. Rand hung on, panting, his throat as dry as sand. So, like when you listen to this description of the Mashdar, not only does this force consume the entire body of the Trolloc and then the entire body of the half man and its horse, like it's almost as if the Mashdar itself is a void and i know in the last episode we had this conversation about the duality of good versus evil light versus dark but here we have this additional force that's neither good nor evil it just is it's like a void and this void is essentially consuming everything within itself as if nothing else mattered so much so that it even just engulfed sound and like though that one piercing sound did come through the way it's described, it's as if it even created like fear within the half man. And we consider the half man of the fades as like pure evil. Well, but here it is expressing fear, which is just, you know, right. something to really think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in, in, in that section that you just read, um, I got the, as I'm reading it, the mental image from uh, the Matrix early on with Neo when he had his red pill, blue pill moment. And sure. he takes it and they're getting ready to find him and like he touches the mirror and it just like slowly starts to take him over and then crawls down his throat as he's screaming like um, yeah. that, that image <laughs> at the top of my head. But th- this moment, I hope they, uh, I think we talked about it uh, offline, but I hope they include this moment in the show and there's opportunity to like have a very badass scene right there. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and and th- things like this, I don't think they're going to cut from the show. I mean, I, I don't know how close to some of our listeners follow the show as much as I do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, um, I mean, for example, this evening, uh, Rafe Juckins, who's the showrunner, he's the, the head producer, the showrunner uh, and, and director and writer for the show, the head guy for, for all of it. Uh, he got on Instagram, I think, because he's in quarantine too, and he's really bored and started answering mm-hmm. questions that people had and 
I'm not sure how long this is going to be up on Instagram because it seemed like he was breaking NDAs left and right, uh, the non-disclosure agreements. Because <laughs> um, he was giving away stuff that I was like, there's no way Amazon's letting you say all this stuff right now. Like, it's, um, like he was just like talking about characters that are actually going to be in the show. And uh, like, he's basically like, yeah, any major plot plot line is not cut uh is pretty much what he said he said there are there are minor roles they had to cut out and minor scenes they had to cut out but um being that that obviously this is something major they're they're doing it it's just hope they do it hope they do it well (laughs) yeah um exactly so that's exciting at least to get that aspect that you know no major characters are cut um, that some minor characters might be cut and some um, some some characters might have roles expanded more than what's in the books but that's that's different but uh anyway so moving on uh back to the back to the actual episode um so uh Rand gets away because obviously Bashadar kills the trollocs in the fade and he's moving slowly now and, and making his way towards the river and he hears some rocks falling so you know falling or, or some someone someone close by. So he pulls his sword out and and goes to swing and and stops the last second when he realizes he almost kills Matt. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know Matt's hiding in the and in the shadows there too and um and, and they kind of have this interaction where they they get together again. So yeah, we have Rand and Matt together at least. Um, and they start making their way towards the river and they hear Trollocs, uh, you know, horns inside the city and out. Um, and, and they come to the gate. And head out, and they find Tom as well. So now we're kind of getting a little bit of a party back together again. You know, we got Tom, we got Matt, we got we got Rand, at least three of them together. Um, and then we're about to switch. Um, and then this- See why Alan's not allowed yeah. to talk? Oh, because they just found Tom. No, Tom rides up on them with a whole uh, horde of okay, trollocs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ride, you fools, ride. <laughs> See, this is that, that that misconception that Alan likes to do. He just wants to throw you off of the whole thing. <laughs> oh no, no, nothing great's gonna happen there. And then all of a sudden, oh shit, somebody just got their head chopped off. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. That doesn't exactly no, that doesn't a big deal at all. Fourteen at least. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, yeah. So. So yeah, so Tom does come running, running with Trollocs chasing behind him. Um, you know, run you fools. Uh, yeah, that's uh, um, and uh, and that's right before we uh we switch to a, a character point of view. So any thoughts before we do the switch? I just think it's cute <laughs> how Rand's thought continuously goes back to Egwene, yeah. uh, like throughout the entirety of this. Um, point of view listening to his inner monologue and again that nice italics really brings your attention to his inner thoughts and every time he's thinking it goes back to Wayne so it still shows that that pure innocent love I feel like he's definitely gonna get his heart broken eventually but you know for the moment he feels like he's the hero and he's responsible for her but I have a feeling she's gonna end up being the real badass in the story eventually (laughs) Anything for you, Ian, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, if he, he needs to start thinking more about his legs if he wants to keep those. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. Before, before he starts losing body parts, right? Uh, yeah, right. Just yeah. put a scratch. <laughs> Just put a scratch. So, yeah. So, 
you know, uh, you know, it's almost like Robert Jordan heard you guys last week, you know, as he's as he's writing this live, and you know, Perrin was going to be this block that doesn't have any thought process and decides, hey, let's have our first point of view that's not Rand be Perrin. So, <laughs> so we switched to Perrin's <laughs> point of view. Um, so we actually get to now um, get to learn a little bit more about how Perrin thinks, and you know, like like you guys had mentioned in previous episodes, Perrin hasn't been developed at all as a character. We get Matt because Matt's the wild card, and you can't not have a chapter without figuring Matt out because Matt just stands out. But Perrin's, Perrin's the big, quiet guy. Um, so until we get to this point, he's kind of just been there, but because it's not in his point of view, he's just there, um, which I love the fact that now we're actually going to get a point of view from Perrin. So with all that being said, here we are, Perrin's staring at the gate, uh, and he's been standing for a while and he's trying to figure out what yeah. is, whether it's a trap um, and just carefully thinking. So let you guys take it away. No, I love this. So I know we don't have much to go on with Perrin um, and I'm learning. I need to give all of our characters the benefit of the doubt. But like, like I said before, so far he's just kind of been there. Uh, and I almost hope like when this, like when they do this in the show, that this scene just opens with Perrin just, standing there staring and literally let five minutes go by with absolutely nothing <laughs> happening. Like maybe every once in a while, like him perk up and just go, Hmm, no, 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 no. And then like just more time go by. Cause it, that's, that's how I saw it in my head. And that so far, that's, that's the character I see pairing. He just o- overthinks. Sure. Overthinks. I've, I've got to say, cause I feel like I, I identify a lot with Perrin, um, because like I'm the one in this whole little group here, I'll be the one, Five minutes later, I need to go back ten pages real quick, guys, because yeah. there's a point that I wanted to make that we just didn't make. So let's go back because it says like he, me, and Perrin knew that Matt and almost everyone else in Edmondsfield considered him slow of thought. It was partially because he was big and usually moved carefully. He had always been afraid he might accidentally break something or hurt somebody, and since he was so much bigger than the other boys, he grew up with. But he really did prefer to think things all the way through if he could. Like, that was me. That is me. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I'm 330 pounds. Anytime I step, I have to look down to make sure there's not, like, a small human being <laughs> under my foot. <laughs> or <laughs> whenever I turn around a corner, I have to be very patient and move slowly so I don't truck an old lady. Like, I've done that once or twice in the grocery store. <laughs> Um, <laughs> moving furniture is always dangerous, especially glass, because I tend to shatter that. Like, <laughs> so I definitely yeah, identify we- there. And he, then he goes on, quick thinking, careless thinking, had put Matt into hot water one time after another. And Matt's quick thinking usually managed to get Rand or himself or both into the cook pot alongside Matt too. And um, I know at least one person in our party who definitely probably identifies a little bit more than that. <laughs> Wild <laughs> <Yeah>. card. <laughs> so you know what? Like Perrin for this fact, he is the deep thinker. So yeah, it, 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 it's funny. I was actually uh, uh, speaking. I I I didn't told you this, Ian, yet. So I'll tell you now, uh, just so our listeners can hear as well. So I was talking to Nablus last night. Uh, he's a YouTuber. If anybody doesn't know who Nablus is, check out his YouTube stage uh, channel. Actually, both of you guys can check it out too because he's really good about labeling his videos. And he has spoiler-free stuff too. 
So if it okay. said, so like if you go to Nabless, uh, you type wheel time, and even if you spell it wrong, uh, they'll probably correct you to him. But um, because he's a big, he's a big YouTuber. <laughs> but like I said, like there, there's stuff that he has that's spo- that's definitely spoilery, but he's really good about giving a spoiler warning up front. Um, and he goes through a bunch of stuff, and and you know if it's safe, it's safe. Um, but with that being said, you know, we had this talk about like characters in real time. And he says the most unrealistic character in all real time is Matt because no one in real life is actually like Matt. And I was like, Oh, you never met my co-host. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no one in real life. That's actually that intelligent, but also an idiot and pulls pranks. And I was like, no, you have not met my co-host. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, super wicked smart. An idiot at the same time. No, they do exist. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow managed to survive. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I was I've like, had, that. I've, had a, I've had a strong prayer group in my corner my whole life between my grandmother and my mom. And that's that's the only reason I give credit to a few broken bones and sure. I've been severely hurt. So, yeah. <laughs> the only you could eat yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah so 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 back to back to the chip but yeah so so parents in there looking at the gate it's 100 spans away and, and a rider comes out and um he you know of course he's careful he thinks it might be a fade or something like that and then ends up being a Gwen. and Egwene thinks it's rand because obviously that's all she thinks and it's like no it's parent he speaks out and uh and they they <laughs> decide to ride out together so they ride out uh, of the city um, and then next thing you know, Sherlock's chasing them. That's what happens to every single person uh, in these chapters. Right. His trucks start popping up and chasing everybody. So, um, you know, the trucks are getting closer and closer. And then they all of a sudden, from parents' point of view, the ground falls beneath them and he runs right off a cliff. So, anything before. <laughs> so, um, and then he looks yeah. like the biggest idiot. Yeah. Thanks a lot, parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, granted, he had no idea how close the river was, and you know it's kind of one of those things. But um, um, but yeah. So I mean, he he runs, you know, loses his horse and falls into icy cold water, uh, fully clothed. And um, and I, I talk a little bit in you know, previous episodes about my sailing background. Um, I've I've done that, um, fully clothed, gone into ice cold water, uh, you know, close to freezing, if not freezing, temperatures. Um, and, uh, and the way he writes this is pretty darn accurate. Um, you know, I actually, the, I actually, I'll, I'll take that back. He gives them too much wherewithal. I think <laughs> let's, put, let's put it that way. Like, I know it sounds like he's desperate and like, and, and he writes it really well that like, he's almost not making it at the very end. It is a, an experience that unless you've been through it, there's really, it's hard to describe. I mean, imagine just getting punched by the hardest thing, like all the air sucked out of you and then any clothes to wearing instantly become lead. I mean, they're just weights um, and you can't move your arms or your legs. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when it's that cold, uh, it happens quick, you know, yeah. uh, to your point from, from sailing when we were younger, in small boats, we actually practice capsize drills all the time. And obviously you do it when the weather is pretty decent, so you're not freezing and whatnot. But you practice so that in a pinch, you could just automatically, you know what to do, right the boat, this, that, and the other. But the mm-hmm. wa- when the water is that cold, if you get below 50 degrees, but definitely if it's below 40, uh, which we've both been in, you get maybe, you get one chance to get back in the boat before yep. your muscles stop working. 
you yep. might get a second chance, but then your body just goes survival mode. Your legs stop working. Your arms stop working. I mean, it hits you quick. It's, it's interesting too, because even your lips stop working. You can't talk anymore. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's weirdest that you'll, you'll open your mouth to talk. and like literally nothing comes out. Like everything's shutting down. It's, 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 it's a weird, weird experience, but, um, with someone who's been through it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very weird, but yeah. So, um, he hits the water as ice cold water. He loses his cloak, which is probably the best decision he makes. Thinks about losing the axe, which honestly good on him to keep it. If it had been me, I probably would have ditched the axe because I've been in that situation. Um, I'd be stripping out everything I could while I still had the wherewithal to get the, get clothes off and, 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 and be able to survive. Um, because, <laughs> uh, because honestly you want to get your clothes off. That's, 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 that's another thing as well. Um, uh, uh, any, any kind of clothes uh, are just going to be worse for you, uh, even yeah. when you get out, out of the water. So, well, yeah, so, so hold it on, hold it on to the axe, though. I think again, with the perspective that we have, like you and I have kind of felt this. Um, uh, I it, it painted a picture in my mind of the just the overall strength, um, not just physical strength, but the mental strength that parent has to have. Uh, because you're right, mm-hmm. you, you go so quickly into survival mode, you would think, you know, I just want to toss all this stuff and make sure I live. Um, so physically that he's actually able to make it across in these conditions, that's already, wow, that's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. But that he did hang on to that axe. And I kind of imagine him, you know, if it was me, uh, he was probably ready to drop it at the last second if he absolutely had to. Um you know, in, in my mind's eye, he's barely, you know, in that last stroke before he feels land, probably considering letting it go and just barely makes it to the shore across. So sure. pretty cool from a mental standpoint that, it, you know, he was wise <laughs> enough to, all right, if, if I have a, any chance of surviving after this, I got to hang on to it. So, Right. A great physical effort. Yeah. So he, you know, with, Gets gets to the other side of the river, basically, as he's pretty much almost drowning, and, and pulls himself on, on back on the shore. So, yeah. Well, no, I got, I enjoyed listening to you guys in regards to that because you know, though I I live in the same area, I'm not much one for um, being out on the boat or anything. I've been out a few times, but I don't have the experience you guys have. But I do know what it's like to to feel the weight of something like. A, I'm not the strongest sure. swimmer. Um, and I have definitely had moments being in kayaks and things where kayak rolls. And the last thing I want to think about is like trying to save the paddle and everything else around me. All I'm trying sure. to yeah. get my ass <laughs> back into the kayak or out of the water as quickly as possible. And so like, and being a weak swimmer, like I don't use my legs, I use my arms. I'm like, oh no, panic mode. So the fact that he has the mental fortitude to, to go ahead and hold on to his axe, and the fact that he has the physical strength and he doesn't panic so much that he drains the energy from himself and he yeah. has to get rid of the axe, just kind of goes to solidify that Perrin isn't a block <laughs> yeah. as much as we may think he is. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, so he makes it to the other side. Um, he doesn't see Egwene or hear her. He kind of looks for her, scrambles at the bank, and then we switch back to Rand. So um, we're back <laughs> in Rand's point of view. They seem to have lost the Trollocs for now, um, and they're, they're trying to find where the star is again. 
Now they've lost the star during this chase and, uh, and they find it, but then the trucks jump out and start chasing again. Um, so they all start running again. I mean, it just <laughs> every time they get away, there's more trollocs. Um, so, um, uh, you know, and, and then at this point, as they're running, um, they notice Tom, you know, it's just gone. And they're wondering where Tom went. Um, and then also Tom busts from the back, knives out, throwing knives, kills two of them, and one gets away. But I just wanted to um, kind of talk about this scene a little bit, you know, about how badass Tom is. So guys can yeah, take yeah. a so- well, before I want to give Matt his props first because Matt put an arrow into one of the guy's right. eyes yeah. while on horseback. So I definitely got to give him his props for that because it definitely shows that whether his skills were there before, his skills are there now. And he's doing a pretty good job of laying down some Trollocs. So he's really becoming that warrior that we feel like he should be, though he is still like, you know, the guy getting himself in the most trouble. He did a good job with that one. Sure. So you can definitely give him his props. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and then so with, with Tom busting out, slinging these knives and landing kill shots with them, I mean, that's no small thing, again, from horseback. And we, we've kind of joked, but I, I think we both are waiting for um, the real story behind Tom to come out because he's not just this gleeman that tells stories and sings songs. I mean, he's got, he's got some skills. And whoever he works for with, like whatever he really is, uh, I mean, he's gone out of his way to have like this great cover story. So I, I don't know. And I, so I even think back, you know, you look at uh, uh, the people that are able to shoot bow and arrow, people that are able to throw knives and whatnot. Like they have these, um, oh shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like more skill, more dexterous skill. Uh, and he's working with Matt before teaching to juggle as they're going along. So he's not being very overt and like, Hey, let me go teach you how to shoot this bow, swing this sword, throw these knives, sure. kind of like what land might do, but he's still kind of passing along some skills to them that can help out even from a physical fight standpoint. You might, you might not think about that when you think juggling, but developing that dexterity actually helps you with the skills like what Tom has and slinging knives. So sure. I don't know. I think he's some super secret ninja. Again, appreciating the the writing style. Oh, I, Sorry, I said he's I he's probably some super secret ninja warrior that you know <laughs> we, we we find out in book fourteen. Obviously, <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything happens in book fourteen. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, like appreciating the writing style, though it says like the Trollocs had only time enough to look back in the surprise before the Gleeman's hand whipped back and then forward. Moonlight flashed off steel. One Trolloc tumbled forward, rolling over and over before landing in a heap, while a second dropped to its knees with a scream, clawing at its back with both hands. The third snarled, bearing a muzzle full of sharp teeth, but as its companions toppled, it whirled away into darkness. Tom's hand made the whip-like motion again, and the Trolloc shrieked, but the shriek faded into the distance mm. as it ran. Like so he hit the third one, but he didn't. It was a kill shot. Uh, the frog was running away. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it, it's just crazy because, like you were talking about the dexterity, the the what it takes to be able to throw knives like that. Like I've thrown knives before. Yeah. It is hard as shit. Like throwing axes is much easier than throwing knives. I'll tell you that much because I've done both. So- <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'd much rather have an so, axe. Just, just a knife. little side note. I've never <laughs> thrown knives or axes. I, I know there's lots of places that do that, but I have a friend of mine. He lives in Richmond. Um, and I doubt he listens to our podcast, but if he does, his name's Dan Pegg. Um, good friend of mine. Uh, he's actually ranked eighth in the world in knife throwing. Um, he, he's on the, he's on, He's on the U.S. Wow, U.S. team because awesome. apparently there's international competitions. He just got back from Switzerland, oh. um, so um, I, I I told him that they're making a TV show that has knife throwing in it. That if they ask him to come and you never heard of this series, it's called Wheel of Time. Jump on it because you laugh about it. So he was actually the consultant for Walking Dead, who um, who taught uh, Rick. Grimes character how to do throw tomahawk so he was the official person on walk so he's done tv stuff before as an official That's weapon awesome. yeah so he's actually so so uh, if anybody Ooh. from amazon is hearing me i actually i know him so if you guys want to you know trade con- you know contacts and uh, i can make this happen <laughs> yeah. for you guys uh, <laughs> but he actually is professional and he has <laughs> trained actors on how to throw weapons so uh um, but yeah, it's really, really cool. Actually, when the first time he told me that, I was like, bullshit. And then um, he showed me pictures of him on set and Walking Dead. So anyway, um, really cool. Uh- <laughs> yeah. So like Tom, I, I, like I can't put him in the ninja scene because like he, sure. he brings too much attention to himself. He's too flashy out there like everybody knows. But then like it makes me think of like a thief because of his attributes, his dexterity, his juggling, his attention, but then also his ability to kind of be there and then be gone and then yeah. come back in the moment. And then most of the time, these type of books, the person who uses daggers and knives, who throws, who's sneaky, but then who also want, will draw attention when need be, are kind of your thief types because they tend to work in groups. They tend to work yeah. in pairs at least, and you have one that does all the, the distracting while the other makes the, the stealing. So, like, part of me wants to think he's some type of, like, master thief or part of he's a thief a rogue. field or something like a that. A rogue. The other part's like... <laughs> yeah. Still some, like, Gandalf-type individual, but that image is slowly leaving because he hasn't used any form of yeah. magic yet that yeah. we know of, but he's definitely <laughs> yet. And I think it's funny because yeah. he's like my second <laughs> best knife. So I want to know where, yeah. first. where his first knives <laughs> are. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they, they get away from the Trollocs and they're making their way down the bank of the river and Rand sees a light and it happens to be a boat. Uh, it's an 80 foot boat, which is a good size uh, vessel. Um, the size boat that I race on is a 42 foot boat. So half the size and it's a big boat. There's 13 of us that crew it during racing. So, um, an 80 foot boat, if it was set up for cargo, uh, you know, could probably have the same size crew because you're not racing it. Um, you know, around 13, 12 people, uh, and carry a, a, a nice size amount of cargo. So, um, just got to give you a reference, at least in my mind's eyes, I know exactly what this boat kind of would look like, but, um, um, but you know, they dismount and Tom, uh, says he's going to go talk to the captain, but then right as soon as they're dismounting, more Trollocs show up. So <laughs> that's what's really driving the story here. They just the Trollocs the force them ever. into new scenes. Exactly. It's 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 getting quiet. Trollocs getting quiet. Trollocs. Yeah. So great. So yeah. So um, go ahead. And this is where stuff kind of gets interesting because it's like you know the the Trollocs come and then all of a sudden Tom is like 
like, go, 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 hurry up, get on the boat. It's like rush to get on the boat. And then like shit starts to go down because the Trollocs Mm -hmm. follow very quickly behind them. So, you know, I just think it's like you said, the, the, the continual drive for the Trollocs, like they are going after the, our, our friends here even though they're literally getting on a boat and we know that the Trollocs absolutely hate the water. Like they don't want anything to do with it. So they're definitely being driven pretty hard, which is something just to sure. keep in mind, I believe. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they jump on, um, uh, you know, everybody on or when Rand first jumps on, he lands on a guy named Gelb. Uh, that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, you know, kicks him right in the head. Uh, the Trollocs are boarding. Everybody's waking up. It's kind of a mass mayhem, you know, like, Obviously, everyone's sleeping for the night, and all of a sudden you got Trollocs boarding you, and uh, these random other passengers that are jumping on, and swords are out, and um, and and Rand falls, uh, you know, on board and loses his sword, and he's laying on his back, and uh, and a Trolloc, you know, has a has a basically a spear, it's a catch pole that's broken off, and he's about to stab Rand, and all of a sudden uh, we get this scene, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think this is where stuff really gets interesting. And um, directly from the book, it says, Rand struggled to reach for the sword because, of course, he's being attacked by the Trolloc. He said he struggled to reach for the sword to move to get away, but his arm and legs moved jerkily and only half as he wanted. They wobbled and went in odd directions. His chest felt as if it were strapped with iron bands. Silver spots swam in his eyes. Frantically, he hunted for something, some way to escape. Time seemed to slow as the Trolloc raised the jagged pole as if to spear him with it. To Rand, the creature appeared to be moving as if in a dream. He watched the thick arm go back, and he could already feel the broken half ripping through his spine, felt the pain of it tearing him open. He thought his lungs would burst. I'm going to die. Light help me. I'm going to... The Trolloc's arm started for driving the splint shaft and Rand found the breath for one yell, no. And then it goes on and says, suddenly the ship lurched and a boom swung out of the shadow to catch the Trolloc across the chest with a crunch of breaking bones, sweeping it over the side. And this particular scene spoke really heavily to me because, you know, Rand makes the comment. He's like, for a moment, Rand lay panting, staring at the boom, swinging back and forth. That has to have used up my luck, he thought. There can't be any more after that. Like, literally, he thinks that he's just lucky. But listening to the way Jordan has described this scene, it says, time seemed to slow as the Trolloc raised the jagged pole. And then he said he watched the thick arm go back. He could already feel his bones being ripped. Like the way, the imagery that we're receiving, everything was happening very quickly, but everything around Rand seemed to slow down. So it makes me feel like it's one of those moments where, you know, all of a sudden, maybe he did slow time down. Maybe this is his moment where he is reaching out and grasping onto and feeling the mm. one power. So like, this is that moment where I'm thinking maybe he is tapping into this power and not only that, but he influenced it when he yelled, no, 
he commanded or he used the one power to break the boom uh, apart from um, from the ropes and use the boom to actually save him. So, you know, this this happens a lot in these type of books where you have an individual who has power and then whenever they're threatened, they use it almost subconsciously. They use it naturally, sure. reactively. So, yeah. Um, interesting theories. Um, <laughs> we, we will see, I guess, is the best way to put it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we get to the next <laughs> scene here and uh, we get to meet a new character. Uh, his name is Bill Doman. Um, he's the captain of the ship and he stands over Rand and catches the boom and um and uh, he's pretty mad at the guy that actually ran jumped on because which, which i thought was just hilarious interaction because you know Gel- gelb gelba immediately starts calling <laughs> them dark friends and saying this guy attacked me and 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 bailed dumb and you know i don't know the backstory between these two but but um you know obviously he doesn't listen to this guy at all it's like yeah whatever <laughs> like, <laughs> like shows him off and and turns to his new passengers and says, you know, like, you know, well, before he does that, he blames Gil for the boom, saying, you know, you're supposed to tie this thing down. Um, and and I, I and I just want to say real fast, I know a lot of people listening probably don't know sailing terminology as well as like probably Ian and I do. Um, um, uh, being that we 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 race sailboats, um, uh, and Chris, you probably don't know as much as <laughs> you know some some. Some some of the things they're saying, you're like, what does that even mean? So, uh, um, to and, and Robert Jordan does not explain it either. So let me explain what a boom is real fast. Um, so the boom is a a, a pole, I guess you would just call it, uh, that sticks out from the mast, which is the tall pole that goes perpendicular to the to the boat that holds the sails up. Um, that that swings back and forth, lets the sails go from one side to the other. It it keeps the shape of the sail. I guess the best way to go. The reason why it's called a boom is because it goes boom when it hits you in the head. Um, literally, that's the reason why they named it that. I mean, I, I, you laugh, but that's that's where the name comes from. Uh, it's, it's it's the boom. Um, and um, I can think um, most people can attest to it. Um, it it does make that sound. <laughs> so, um, and on, on bigger boats, they can be deadly. <laughs> I mean, um, it talks about the force that it hits the trollic with and and knocks them over with. Knocks them over the side. Um, on a boat that's eighty foot long, the boom on that type of boat would would be a, a, a death sentence. Um, it, yeah, it, you you'd know, be lucky. The, you'd be yeah. lucky to just get picked up and thrown over the boat. If it happens to yeah. crack you across the head, you're you're done, ski. Now that yeah. being said, uh, on an eighty foot boat, this large boom, yeah, that would hurt. That doesn't mean on a small little two person dinghy that it doesn't hurt. Because I do remember. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we've talked about the sailing of, uh, Alan, uh, hasn't mentioned this part when he was uh, younger in the dinghy sailing four twenties, FJ's lasers, he was actually really fantastic. Um, and oh, he taught me how to sail. I got into it a little bit later in life, but he taught me everything I knew. Uh, and he taught me a little too well. And eventually we're in this one race where I thought I knew better than him. And, and we came around the, the last windward mark and we're getting ready to come back downwind. And he's like, all right, get ready to jibe. And I'm like, no, no, not yet. Let's stay on this line a little bit longer. And Alan was done arguing with me. So he just goes, the last thing I hear is jibing. And I look up and the boom comes across and cracks me in the back of the head. 
And uh, Alan <laughs> finished that race with me passed out on the front of the boat. And I'm pretty sure he got first place. So he was right. Uh, but it did hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was knocked out cold. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. you know, small boat, they'll, they'll, the, a boom will knock you out. Um, on a big boat, it'll kill you. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, you know, just to get, just put things in perspective. Um, so yeah, so um, you know he's blaming Gail for not tying the bit up and um, and you know and saying that Rand tried to kill him. He's a dark friend, and Bill Dillman doesn't believe him at all and says, you know, hey, you know, the Trollocs have been trying to attack me, you know, and that's kind of interesting because Bill Dillman thinks that the Trollocs are after him. Um, hmm. You know, you know, I don't know if you guys caught that line. Um, yeah. and, and they talk, and, and Bill Dillman pretty much just says, Hey, yeah, let's go down below. And Rand's trying to convince him to go back for his friends. He's like, No, let's go down below and talk. So, before we get down below in the captain's quarters, <laughs> anything you want to add to this this scene here, meeting Bill Dillman? No, I just think it's interesting. Like, Gelb, he was just basically trying to say, Oh, yeah, well, I was fighting Randolph, and then all of a sudden the Trollocs came, and then like, uh, Dillman's like, in leagues with my grandma talking uh regards to the crew because uh gelb was like they're dark friends they're in leagues with trollocs he's like in leagues with my <laughs> with my aged grandmother he said uh <laughs> so like he it's just really funny the way he talks i really enjoy it like that yeah. that sea dog that old that that conversation yeah. that you hear only when you're on a boat definitely talk like an old pirate <laughs> or like an, uh, like a bad irish like uh, you know, you know, it's 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 the way he talks is definitely uh you know um, you know I wouldn't say Yoda speak, but uh, changes words around and how you normally me know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so yeah, so um they get on below and uh, and and Tom tells them kind of a story of what happened, kind of goes right in, um, and says that Rand and Matt are his apprentices. And he gives this long, elaborate Gleeman type tale of why they're there and what happened. Um, and you know, uh, the two boys, Rand and Matt's jaws are just dropped open because <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, even after you know, I I guess my I had a question here. You know, what do you guys think about this story? Well, again, I, I love how quick on it and on its feet Tom is. Like he he really knows how to twist words. He really knows how to shape a story and he can do it on the fly. So it just goes to show that he's been doing it for a very long time. And it really makes you wonder how many adventures he's actually been on where he's taken the reality of it and turned it to benefit his, what he does. I mean, he's a storyteller, Um, which, you know, he spun it so well, he included everything that they had been through, but he only gave the tidbits that were important and then he morphed what he needed to to fit what he wanted so much so that it was like Rand realized his mouth had been hanging open for some time and shut it with a click and he said Matt was staring wide-eyed at the gleam and like he wove their story into a story that was so awesome that they didn't even get it. And I feel like that's how this book is for, for us. I mean, we are listening to Jordan. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. Neiman. laughs> so I wonder if, uh, if Rand either thinks on this later or speaks on it, but like, 
Rand's been good about, at least in his mind, calling BS on our various characters. He's been skeptical of just about everybody, but but not so much of Tom. He's been a little more trusting, confided in him. But now he sees this perfect example of how Tom can tell a story so well, and he knows it's a lie, but it just sounds like the absolute truth. And it may be part of the jaw-dropping. I mean, I wonder, does he doubt? Tom's story that he's given to them so far about why he's even going <laughs> along with them and, and where he's from and all that jazz. So, I mean, if he can lie that right. good about this one little story, uh, who, you know, sure. It's the cover story for the great ninja Gandalf Tom. I mean, who knows? <laughs> sure. So, you know, even Bill Doman <laughs> is a little skeptical about this story. I mean, he's, but in, He's like, sure, sure, sure. But if you if you got this treasure, how about you know you pay me some of it? And Tom goes, well, it's under horses, and we left there, so uh, we can't get our treasure. Um, and uh, before he can say anything more, oh, Bail Doman threatens to throw him overboard at this point. Says, well, you know, well, fine, they'll throw you overboard. Um, <laughs> and then immediately, Rand and Matt say, well, we got coins, and pulls out their Tar Valen marks um, and hands them to to Bail Doman. Um, so, uh, and Bill Dome and, and you get to kind of get an idea right now how much those are actually worth because obviously they're just two coins, but then he actually get change for them. And, and Tom's kind of taken back about how much, um, how little change he got for them. So obviously these things are worth a lot of money for just two coins. Um, at least in my mind, if you're taking, if you're taking passage on a random trading boat, um, to, to, you know, they're going to white bridge. Uh, which we have no idea how how many days it's going to be. You think just one coin a piece would not even be enough? At least in our, you know, uh, how, how big are these notes? You know, like right. uh, in, in, in today's standard, you know, you think of like a plane flight. It's like the largest <laughs> coin or dollar, at least in American, it's like the hundred dollar bill. A hundred dollar bill will not buy, will not get me change anywhere as far as travel goes. <laughs> so yeah, like, no, not at all. So, so like, and that's the largest <laughs> denomination that we have in currency. So like how much are these coins worth? Um, but yeah. Well, I think it's even more interesting and it's really two words, but it's two words that stood out to me for a while. I said, mm-hmm. Tom glared. Those two words really caught my attention. It said, but a smile replaced it so quickly that Rand was not sure if it had been there. But the minute the boys offered up the coins that Moraine had given them, he instantly glared. Like, you could tell there was an instance of shock. There was an instance of upset. There was this, like, Mm. he knew more than they knew about these coins. And I don't know that it was about the value monetarily as so much as the fact that this is a gift from uh, Moraine Aes Sedai. And, again, going back to my prediction, I feel like these coins because they were given by her to these boys have some type of link. There's some real meaning. At first I just thought maybe it meant that they owed her something because she awarded them these coins. But then there was the thought that these coins held more significance to them. And then with him having that reaction, you know, the only two words, they're very important. They start a sentence and it's just, it's made to stand out to me. I think Jordan does a really good job of throwing quick jabs in there that 
seem insignificant at first, sure, but really mean something yeah, later so, on. So, so still Turkish Delight, but maybe like Turkish Delight 2.0. I mean, there's some enhanced features that we're going to find out about maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, so um, after this scene, they asked, you know, well, can we give you more money if you go back for our friends? And Bill Doman says, you know, how long do you think we've been at, uh, you know, back on the river? Like we're, we're miles down yeah. the river now. Like, like we're, there's, there's no going back now. Like where we're, there's, yeah. And there's, there's trucks back there. There's zero chance. Your friends are back there, fend for themselves. We're going. So, um, you know, um, and you get a little bit of taste about, you know, he said there's trucks north um, from where they came from. And then it kind of ends the chapter with Tom thinking that he could have got a free passage uh, for some, some tales and do his gleaming work. And, you know, it was kind of upset with them for, for pulling out money so fast. And that's kind of the end of this chapter. Um, well, the very end, of course, is Rand yeah. going back to, I should have been a better protector. I should have been a better savior. Like, sure. Okay, dude, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do have one thing to add before we wrap up, but anything that you guys have from this chapter before we, we move on to the next one. I'm kind of excited about the, you know, you cringe when you're rooting for the group, you cringe when everybody gets split up, but at the same time, I'm excited the way it's breaking down because uh, we know quite a bit about Matt and Rand, or at least there's been a lot of storytelling about them. Uh, So hopefully they get on the boat and they just go straight to where it is they're going and we get to spend more time developing some of these other characters. I mean, we we touched on Perrin a little bit, but we still don't know Perrin. Uh, and now right. there's an opportunity to tell his story. He's be traveling by himself for a while. So, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, it just kind of dawned on me that Egwene right. is right, right. like on her own too now. Like she's not, <laughs> she isn't important to us, but she's important. I shouldn't say it that way, but she's like not the most important character to us. So she's like Rand, sweetheart. And then it just hit me like as you were saying it, she's sure. on her own. He's parents mm-hmm. on his own. You know, we don't know what's going on with the rest yeah. of our characters, but good. So dude, the last thing really that funny. I want to add, and I forgot to do this in the beginning, um, but um, we did it in previous weeks. We didn't do it last week because of the Black Tower podcast, and I forgot to do it again at the end of this week. I promise next week uh, we'll get better about this. But uh, country and state, it was my week to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I, I forgot to, I forgot completely to do it in the beginning. So we're going to do the middle of the episode. So uh, <laughs> I guess if you guys have listened to us this far, you actually do actually like us. So uh, rather than just <laughs> <laughs> click on it and be like, uh, okay, this sucks. Uh, bad quality, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of our shtick right now. If you don't get it, we're, we're a poor <laughs> podcast. We're not, we're not as polished as other ones, which I think makes us so much better anyway. So um, <laughs> we're unique. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, so uh, it's my turn to do one. Uh, the country I was going to pick this, this, this uh, week was Indonesia. Um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, one of the largest countries in the world, uh, even though it's a ton, a ton of islands. Uh, that make it up. I've been there and spent a lot of time there sailing through Indonesia. So it uh, has a special place in my heart. Um, uh, hopefully I can find a listener there. I don't have email addresses for anyone I ran into when I was there because most of them were very tribal, but there, yeah. but there are, but there are populated areas of Indonesia that, that I didn't befriend those people. Cause honestly, I like the people that live closer to the earth, but, um, um, yeah. but anyway, so that's, um, 
um, neither here nor there, but yeah, Indonesia. So if you guys know anybody in Indonesia or have friends from Indonesia or, or happen, well, I guess no one's traveling these days right now, but uh, if you have a trip planned mm-hmm. in Indonesia to Bali or something like that in the next, um, you know, year. <laughs> yeah, I know. I would, I would, <laughs> Push it out a little <laughs> further, man. It's <laughs> In the next six years, yeah. no, they can jump yeah. in well, whenever at this point. We got a solid six years When the travel ban's think, over in, uh, yeah. and then he pauses, well, whenever yeah. it's over, eventually. Yeah, yeah eventually, eventually when you can travel again and you go to, and go to Bali or something like that, <laughs> tell some rogue random local about our podcast. And see if you can get them to, to, to start reading the books and, and listen to us. So that's all I got. Um, but other than that, I think we're ready to move on to chapter 21. So you guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So moving on to chapter 21, listen to the wind. Um, so another windy chapter. Uh, we got a symbol again. Uh, it's the staff. And uh, and last time we had the staff was choices, which was Ian's favorite chapter about all the choices they got. Um, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So uh, – so we want to talk about the staff at all. Um, you know, we talked about maybe it's naive staff, maybe it's moraine staff. Uh, I think we've gone back and forth. Uh, obviously, uh, in this one, we're we're um, have both of them. So. Well, it's it's heavy on moraine, uh, yeah. but because of the story that unfolds with with the wisdom here and what's predicted from Moraine, you know, it, it could just be a, a symbol for Aes Sedai or at least the sect of Aes Sedai that Moraine belongs to. Um, yeah. Who knows? Sure. <laughs> Anything for you, Chris? I mean, at this point, it's just kind of getting to the idea that it's signifying the use or the, one of the many uses of the power, the one power. Um, yeah, because like it's stated, the staff is just a tool, right? And then we realize that the one power has to be channeled, so we're kind of sure. getting into that ideology more and more through this chapter, sure. So, yeah, so let's start the chapter. So, um, this uh, obviously, this is gonna be the first time it's gonna be Nadine's chapter. So, this is this whole entire chapter is from her perspective. Um, like I said, we got a little bit of parents last chapter when they did the switch back and forth. Um, and up to this point, everything we never got to really hear Nynaeve's thoughts or internal dialogue. It's always been what other people think of Nynaeve. So I just love how now we're getting to actually meet some of these characters, I guess, more, uh, uh, more in depth or more, uh, more intimately. Um, uh, gets to know their thought processes and things like that. It makes the characters more dynamic yeah. um, than just, just a flat character. So it's the next morning. Um, Nynaeve is by herself. Uh, and we got a lot of description uh, up front right here. So um, I know Chris is really into the description. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about I, you know, everything that's going on here. but um, I, I really do love, again, how we're, we're looking at the setting the scene, sunrise creeping over the river. And we have uh, Naive essentially – trying to to stay awake but of course she slept the horse slept mm-hmm. and i came awake with a start and for a moment she said she stared wondering where she was then start stared around even more wildly when remembered 
but there were only trees and her horse and a carpet of old dry leaves across the bottom. And then she kind of curses herself. She said, light preserve you, woman, which is kind of an odd curse. It's almost like one of those, well, I'll be damned, almost. <laughs> yeah. F me. Uh, you could have awoken uh, in a Trolloc cook pot. So they keep going back to this idea that the Trollocs would easily cook them and eat them. Um, yeah. But I think more importantly here was just going into her inner monologue and where she's at, how they're explaining that she's in the wilderness and she's able to survive. So it's going back to her childhood and her upbringing with her father and learning how to survive. So Mm -hmm. we're really getting to learn a little bit more about her. Sure. And then it, it brings an interesting thought she said angry with herself for thinking of the possibility of course about her friends not being alive she said not even winter night or the battle before uh charlotte logo excuse me had -hmm. prepared her for last night for that thing mashadar so here she's like i've been through all this stuff but there's something that bothers her more about the unknown Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what we're going to see here as we go throughout this chapter she can deal with the tangible very well because what is tangible can be controlled like she's upset at herself for falling asleep in the wilderness but she understands the wilderness so she was at ease she was comfortable with what was around her Um, she was in the middle of two battles as of late And she's okay with the physical battles because, again, that's something that is tangible, something that can be controlled. But then you have Mashtar, which there's no controlling that. It's just the nothing. It's the void. It's the uncertainty. Um, And then even the thought of her friends not being alive is something that she can't control. And I think that bothers her more than anything else. So we're learning a little bit more about her character. Right. Yeah, so I I think what's important here is also what's not written. We did not get a story about her and how she escaped the the initial encounter with the Trollocs. There's just this assumption that, oh, yeah, I mean, obviously she made it out. And her worry, like she wakes up and like you said, life preserve you. She's worried about, you know, you can't stay awake one night. That's what she's concerned about. It's not that she wakes up and goes, oh, my goodness, I barely escaped these Trollocs. Uh, like even in her own mind, there's an assumption like, yeah, of course I got out of that. No big deal. Uh, and, and she's alongside the river. She's where she's supposed to be, where, uh, Moraine said she would find a way to find all of them if they got away. So right. yeah, again, it, it speaks to her skills and what was not written by the author is still important because there's just this assumption right. that, yeah, yeah, she's going to make it no big deal. Let's fast forward. Right. Well, then she realizes she has to give it to the eyes to die. She's like, she does run into the Trolloc. Ten or so of them seem to spring out of the ground, not 30 spans in front of her. This is as she was escaping, bounding towards her on the instant, howling and shouting, brandishing hooked catch poles. Yet as she pulled her horse around, they fell silent, lifting muzzles to sniff the air. She watched, too astonished to run, and they turned their backs and vanished into the night. And that had been the mm-hmm. most frightening of all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Trollocs, the Trollocs know who they want. It's not her. 
Yeah. So, well, and and so the she's fact like, is- I got to give it to the eyes to die. She's right. It seems the shepherds of the, uh, it seems she's right about the shepherd of the night. <laughs> but you learn a lot about in these few lines. I know we're spending a lot of time in these first couple of paragraphs, but that last one, and that had been the most frightening of all. Uh, I mean, it, it speaks so much to about her. Like she's less worried about her. It, she's not worried about her own safety. She's realizing that, oh, wait, they are, in fact, after these boys and more concerned with them. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to have I'm going to have less stories in this chapter than I did in the last one to chime along. And if I'm more quiet, it's mostly because she is much like Moraine starting to change my mind and my perception of them is starting to change greatly, like my respect for them growing. So I'm still skeptical, but starting to love sure. her. Sure. So, yeah. So, um, you know, she, she's that the Trollocs, they run off, um, and she's making her way down South along the river and she's trying to track you, you know, looking at tracks and all like that. She's pretty sure they're all just Trolloc tracks. Um, you know, there's some hooves, there's some that are boots, but Trollocs have both. And she's trying to find where the boys tracks might be. And then she smells a fire. Um, and she sneaks up on the campfire and, and, you know, pride yourself for how well, and, and now we get to see Moraine and Lan and they're having a conversation uh, and she's kind of listening in and, and Lan says, you know, all the Trollocs are gone there. Uh, but there were a thousand Trollocs yesterday. So Lan's like talking about, you know, we talked about, I guess last chapter that maybe there's 500, but Lan's now determined that there are uh, at least a thousand, if not more. So, I mean, this is an entire army force. That's after the eight of them. Like, I, I, I don't know if you think about the gravity of that. Like, it's just, you have an entire that's, that's battalion size. <laughs> right, right. A thousand troops. Like, I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, yeah, Lamb makes a point. He said, four half men started south about two hours before dawn. As near as I could tell, they don't leave much trace behind, but the Trollocs have vanished, even the corpses. And the Trollocs are not known for carrying off their dead unless they're hungry. Like, mm-hmm. again, we're talking about that sheer number. So there must have been a thousand in the hunt for us yesterday. But more importantly, they're here and they're gone. Right. And Lan mm-hmm. wants to know, how, how did they get this far down south without nobody? How do you move an army of that size down from the <laughs> blight? You know, without anybody knowing. And that's when they're getting to this conversation. You start learning something, you know, where Moraine says, well, the ways are closed. Um, we, I think we might have mentioned the ways before, but, like, um, that's something, you know, it was something to think about. What, what are the ways? Um, and no, no one can travel. You know, no one's been able to travel for thousands of years um, unless maybe the Forsaken are actually coming loose. Um, so these are mm, uh, we, we've been shimmering talk- in, shimmering out. Mm, yeah, a shimmering, shimmer, shimmer. So we, we've seen shimmering in and out, so that you know that might be the traveling. Uh, we saw that in the prologue, so um, uh, obviously, but uh, but no one's been able to do that for thousands of years. Yeah, that 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 art or how to do that has been lost. Yeah, um, there's like a slight. It's almost you can't really call it an argument because Lance still knows this place, but he's still called her out. He's like, don't try to evade it. You know what I'm saying. If those thousands were here to be sent into the two rivers, why were they not? There's only one answer. They were sent only after we crossed the Tarn. 
when it was known that one Midrol and a hundred Trollocs were no longer enough, how how were they sent? If a thousand Trollocs can be brought so far south from the Blight so quickly unseen, not to mention being taken off the same way, can 10,000 be sent into the heart of Saldea yeah. or Arfel or like, China? So, right. So Land's basically saying, if that money can come down, why aren't they overrunning everything? Like, why, why aren't we all just being killed right now? Like, like. So something I thought about was if, if an end of, uh, one fade so far from what we've read, one fade is controlling roughly how many Trollocs? A band is around a hundred, and usually a fade will will, will control a band. Right. Um, but so th- that's that's and, rough, rough estimate. So yeah. right, 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 and it seems like the the Trollocs are kind of mindless, but they can be hive minded by this higher power, the fade. They could kind of control them, right? Mm-hmm. And then what did we discuss was above the fade? Uh, dreadlord. Right, dreadlords. and the dreadlords can control multiple fades, which control many Trollocs. And then so the Forsaken you, are the highest. Yeah. Bingo. So what, I, what I'm what i reading here as they talk about just the sheer numbers, I mean, yeah, they're wondering how did they move without nobody noticing. But if they're moving all together in such high numbers and the fact that uh, one fade and his Trollocs getting wiped out could send alarm to everybody else, then that kind of gives emphasis to the tier that's kind of controlling. I mean, there is a, not just a large amount of Trollocs, but there is a significant level of emphasis from the evil side, whatever that is, is kind of going after these folks. So there, there's huge emphasis in chasing down these boys. Sure. Yeah, and and one of my questions I had written down here that I wanted to ask you guys is, you know, with all this data that we know, how much is at stake about these boys? Like, if if that if it's that big of a deal for the Dark One, like, how what's the gravity of this? Like, I guess. <laughs> well, well, that I guess that's what I was kind of leaning to. We're almost at the point of, is the Dark One himself? a hundred percent in charge of this mission to I, I won't say kill the boys because there was a chance to take out Rand and that fade said nope you belong to the dark one. So the dark one is a hundred percent control of this mission and controlling everybody on down the line to try and guide them somewhere, capture them, don't know yet, but eventually get in control of them. He he's very much involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and Moraine also mentions during this whole entire interchange that she knows where one of one of the boys is. Yeah, he said. I've, she said, "I have not been idle while you were away. One is across the river and alive. As for the others, there was a faint trace down river, but it faded away as I found it. The bond has been broken for hours before I began my search. Mm-hmm. So there's our coin. Yep. The minute they gave up their coin, the bond was broken. So the bond was a tracker." Yes. So yeah, so that's what the coins were. So the coins, could, yeah, could, could could track the boys and figure out where they were. So, so Perrin still has his coins, so she knows where Perrin is. But now, uh, random match, she's not sure. Um, um, but around this time, she's getting this conversation. All of a sudden, she stops immediately and grimaces, 
and, and I love this, this. This is my favorite line for these chapters. <laughs> you know, if, if you watch the wolf to, you know, what, uh, what's the, what's the line that's there? It's a, uh, yeah. If you watch said, the wolf. Watch too- the wolf go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. A mouse will bite you on the ankle. So yeah, so and she turns and stares right where Nadeev is, and she says, "You can come out now." Um, <laughs> I, I know you're it's there. Just yeah, um, and uh, and tells her to come out. So Nadeev comes out and immediately starts blaming blaming Moraine for everything. Um, you know, saying that yeah, you know, this is all her fault. Blah blah. blah. And, and Moraine just cuts her off. It's like. I was like, do you know how I knew you were there? It's because, you, you know, you can use the one power too. And Nynaeve is like so taken back by this. She's like, well, you might as well just call me a dark friend. Like, you know, just keep making stuff up. Um, but then Moraine kind of goes in to explain this more. And I don't know if you guys want to take over from here. But uh, she starts explaining exactly how she knows and, 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 and more about. So I guess the first question is, uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious that Moraine's not lying here. Um, that Nynaeve's in denial, um, and she's pissed. But um, what you guys kind of take well, from here? Uh, I'll say by your statement right there, Alan. Clearly, you are a dark friend with Moraine because you, you <laughs> said clearly she's being honest and telling her. Um, so if I try to hold on to my skeptical side just a little bit. Um, Nynaeve makes some points, you know, it's possible that, I mean, if you look back to when Moraine and Land first got to the village there, they were, they had opportunity to ask around and find out certain things. And if she is this master manipulator, she could have found out just enough to be able to push people's buttons and tell them Mm -hmm. what they need to hear. So it's, it's possible um, that she is still manipulating, but I, I do agree with you. Um, at this point, Moraine is, I mean, I said before, she's kind of winning me over. And it would be a huge stretch to say that she dug up all this information just for the possible chance that she might have to twist Nynaeve's arm down the road. You know, that's, yeah. uh, even for me, that's that's a stretch. Yeah. Yeah, and, and she explains, you know, more about the power. So, um, you know, like... Uh, your first your, your first time using it you know it would have been something would have happened that you know it's miraculous that you wanted more than anything else and suddenly a branch fell the right way or something happened like that and um uh, okay, you pause. know in your fate pause hmm? sorry to interrupt okay chris let's go back to your story mm-hmm. about the boom hit it <laughs> <laughs> am i am i the only one that stopped right there and went wait a minute Wait a minute. <laughs> All of a sudden, you say it, you think it, you want it, and it happens. Boom. That's boom. boom. I'm gl- God, no. I'm glad he used the word boom because I know what a boom is, but boom is also still like it. That's the word that hit my mind when she started explaining that. I was like, oh shit, boom. Yeah. <laughs> she said, hey, it's really interesting. I love the, the complexity of the one power, too, and the way it's described. It's like, unlike most women who claim to listen to the wind, you actually can sometimes. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not winter. It's not wind. It's air and water. And we already had that discussion. Moraine brings up that she can manipulate 
different elemental types, some mm -hmm. more easily and regularly than others. He says that's mm. something you need to be taught. It was born into you just as it was born to Egwene. You've learned to handle it, which she still has to learn. Two minutes after I came face to face with you, I knew. Do you remember how I suddenly asked you if you're the wisdom? She goes into like, why do you think that was? But then again, like you said, they bring up the whole, you felt nothing special at the time, but a week or 10 days or later, you felt your first reaction to, to touching the true source. So they, they first bring up the fact that like there was a time, a moment, eight, 10 years ago, the age varies, but you wanted something more than anything in the world, something you needed and you got it. A branch said, here, this is the part that the boom kind of hit me. A branch suddenly falling Bingo. where you could pull yourself out of a pond instead of drowning. A friend or a pet getting well when everyone thought they would die. Which is yeah. kind of funny because as we go on, we learn who uh, her pet was. <laughs> is. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the other thing they say about it is, you know, a couple, you know, after your first touching, after you first wield the power, about a week later, you get sick um, or get giddy or, you know, like it's just weird, like butterflies, but you're sick at the same time. And then, and then it happens sooner and sooner and sooner, close, close together until it doesn't really have, you know, it, it, they, they merge together. And that's when usually people start to burn out um, if, if you don't are properly trained. <laughs> yeah it's like tripping like i swear that jordan was on lsd or something before he wrote the books and he had these feelings <laughs> he's like i'm gonna incorporate this into I mean, a he novel wasn't, he was in vietnam so if it wasn't him he knew somebody so he has oh, first yeah. first hand or second hand knowledge of how that works sure yeah so he's like we're gonna incorporate this and it's, we're gonna call it the one power and for those that learn how to wield it they're going to be able to take many wild rides. Right. And for those that <laughs> yeah. don't, they're going to lose themselves in it. Right. And, so and, and, time and in Mexico. Say that, but. Yeah. <laughs> and she explains that, you know, like if, if not properly taught, you know, like most people will die. Um, that's why it's so important that, that we take people like yourself and like Egwene back to the tower to Tarvalin and, and, and train them just so they won't kill themselves. Um, yeah. We want to save their like lives. Her, her the reaction lives of those to that is never... like, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the line, we want to save their lives, the lives of those who never do manage any control at all. Uh, and she talks about how it's not about trying to grab the women who are going to misuse the power or we think they're any great threat. It's, it's really a humanitarian thing. Like we know it's pretty shocking and yeah. obviously kills them. We want to help them. Right. And then, and then Moraine goes a step further saying, like, I know you you healed one of them, either Perrin or Gwen, because there's no way that you would have walked in the Barrelon and be able to come right to the end where we are. And they're the only two with us. So, mm -hmm. like, she went, she went on and says, I even know that much that, that it's one of them. And Nynaeve just breaks down and said, like, it was Gwen and goes into the whole entire story about healing her when she was a kid. Um, there's her pet. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah so, yeah. Um, you know, calls her out on that too, but and she called her lucky. She's like, You're lucky you didn't die. Like you you yeah. touched the power without knowing it and you came out on the other end, which I think is probably part of what the wisdoms 
in the past have known is like they they realize that they there's going to be this interaction mm-hmm. and then of course something's going to happen and we're gonna to have to take care of our our like it was mistress uh is it baron is that how you pronounce it who realized okay this is going on she's healed uh Egwene and she's going to need some TLC soon here mm-hmm. and they made over yeah. her and she like was so excited for her and she didn't realize anything had really happened they said mm-hmm. you manage a crude control over the power even if touching the true source still comes at random if you had not it would have killed you eventually as it will in all probability kill Egwene if you manage to stop her from going to Tarvalon yeah. so there's a lot to this. Yeah. And he even talks about how Neve gets sick like a week later. She even talks about it like, yeah, and I got sick a week later and all of a sudden I was just fine again. But then she like snaps back and she's like, filthy dark friend, I said I. Like I like she's you can see her like just being pulled both ways. Like she knows what's being told to her is truth. Um, like she knows in her heart, but like she does not want to accept this truth, this reality. Cause every part of her growing up has been told in the stories that Aes Sedai's are horrible people and anything to do with one power is a bad thing and it can't be true. Like, you know, like it's, um, you know, I don't know a good example or, 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 or metaphor or, you know, for this, but, um, maybe you guys can pull one out, but, uh, you know, she's just struggling herself internally between this, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with this, but you're right. Um, I, I can't deny what you're saying. I love this. That really grabs my attention. Again, I, I hate to go to the, the drug or addiction references, but there's just no other way of thinking about this in my mind right now because Moraine says they were only reactions. Each time the reaction comes closer to the actual touching of the source until the two happen almost together. After that, there are no more reactions that can be seen but it is as if a clock has begun ticking Mm -hmm. a year, two years. I know one woman who lasted five years of four who have the inborn ability that you and Egwene have three died. If we did not find them and train them, it is not as horrible a death as the men die, but neither is pretty. And if any death can be called, so convulsions screaming, it takes days. Yeah. And once it begins, there's nothing that can be done, not by Aes Sedai of Tarvalon together, like or all. Excuse me. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so wow. to your to your point, Chris, like people have drawn that before. That's one thing that 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 although Robert Jordan never said this before, that is not an uncommon parallel that people have drawn. That like this is written very much like a drug addiction, but unlike a drug addiction where it's all bad, there is a way to control it and it'd be good, which is not like a true drug addiction. There's that other side of this, but it's drawn as like pretty much the same way as like a heroin addict or some like, you know, a hard drug user. Um, yeah. It gets worse and worse and worse. And most people that start on that path will die. Like it's yeah. just, um, you, you just, a, a clock's now been set. Like you're going to die. Um, so I can't help but go back uh, and think about how some early characters like Tam telling us how you can't trust the eyes to die. Tom early on telling us you can't trust the eyes to die. 
And then there's passages like this where she just gives seemingly so much proof uh, and then follows up with uh, to, to Nineveh. You have great potential, I think, Moran continued. With training, you might become even more powerful than Egwene. And I believe she could become one of the most powerful Aes Sedai we have seen in centuries. So either she's totally full of shit and she's just playing on these people or she's just told Nineveh that her and Egwene could become the two most powerful Aes Sedai that this world has seen in centuries. Like that just seems so freaking over the top, but she sells it so good. Like I'm believing it. But I don't know that I'm supposed to believe it. And that's why well, I'm happy and, now. And, and Chris, you can finish this chapter. I just, I, I'm intrigued, but I don't know what to say. Well, here's my thought on that. Um, we're talking to two river folk. We're talking to people that are descendants of some of the greatest warriors. And at this point now, we realize Aes Sedai. Yeah. That time is known. And so you're going to get this type of power from that type of people. And Moraine can't fathom the type of power that could potentially be there for the two river folk because she's not one. And the two river folk are, you know, removed from the rest of the world. The past wisdoms could have been more powerful and more powerful. We could be getting essentially a tempered down version of the last true Aes Sedai. Oh, and they just haven't received that, that training and knowledge that exists out there because they've been so secluded, but they still have it in their blood. They have the potential. Oh man. Cause you got that purity. You have a, like, I hate to use the analogy of like a dog, but if you, if you get a, a good animal, a good shepherd or a good, uh, retriever or something and you keep breeding them with the good you're going to continue to get this great line but the minute you throw something you know iffy in mm-hmm. there you, you you get a runt you throw a run in there you you should decide you want to mix the blood and then you can get one of two things you either get something greater or you get something lesser and you know with the way this power seems to work the closer to the source the closer to the original user of the source or the original point of the source you are, the greater your power is. Maybe not necessarily your control, but at least the greater your power in general is. Boom. And, you know, maybe the dark one isn't necessarily looking for the boys, but a vessel. Maybe he can manipulate and take over the body of one of the boys because of the tie and the closeness to the power and the boy would be a strong enough vassal. So essentially using one of the boys the same way the Aes Sedai used the staff or they used the, the tools to mm-hmm. channel himself and the power that he can use because they're the closest to. Oh, sure. Or, and again, we're not necessarily focused on two river folk, but we're focused on somebody that was in the two river that was born outside of the two river. So maybe there's an even closer group of people that have been hidden in time or hidden throughout time that are so close to the origins of the one power or 
you know, the the source, and he needs that person to channel himself. All right, Chris. So, so uh, I thought we were going to make it through another recording without you blowing my freaking mind, but we're four <laughs> pa- we're four pages short of finishing, and now so I'm going back to Moraine explaining about how it's not the items themselves that give the power, but it'll, it's, it's a way for them to focus and channel. And so you're suggesting yes. that maybe one of these boys, let's say it's Rand, just pick one of them that has a closeness to the power, that the Dark One wants to get a hold of them as like a talisman or a token because he can use them to do more things. He can channel power through them or focus. Holy he shit. He can channel himself. Holy maybe shit. Maybe he's... Maybe all of these dragons, <laughs> all of the all of the current dragons are people he's attempted to channel through, but they've got a limited lifespan. Just like <sighs> you know, our wisdom who have not, or our women or men who have not been taught how to temper the effects of time or the one power, and their time is limited. Well, that's what he's doing with all these false dragons. Is he's just taking their bodies and using them until they've run their course, but he's trying to find someone that he can channel himself through. And then that's how Voldemort comes and takes out Harry Potter. (laughs) Like, holy shit. I'm I'm tapping out. I'm sorry. I'm tapping out. Ghostbusters. What was that? The the demon's name that tried to come? uh, More... Can't think of his name now. Good grief! We should I message one of the our original Ghostbusters. Yeah, 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 Ghostbusters got... too with the with the, with the yeah. with, so the, the chick the is paint. Zool or whatever. But who's the other one? Yes, yes. there we go. Zool, we need a message. Yeah. What's her name? God. That was the original Ghost. Yeah, but the second Ghostbusters was that painting guy that was trying to get out. He was like yeah. in the painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Him. Yeah. Oh man. Anyways, Chris, you blew my mind. So I don't care how this episode ends. Now I'm done. I just mentally I'm done. (laughs) So yeah, so the only thing we really left to talk about is uh, is finally when Moraine explains the coins. We already kind of talked about that already, but she explains to Nynaeve about the coins because she says, we're going to go south after the boys that went down the river. And Nynaeve's like, well, if you know the ones across the river, only a few miles, go at him first. And she explains a greater need. You know, if they've lost their coins we got to go after them first. Like he's fine. Um, he's alive. He's fine. Whatever. They're, they're, they're obviously something might be wrong and we don't know. So we gotta, we gotta go that way first. Um, uh, and it kind of ends with them deciding to go down South towards right, white bridge. And, uh, naive kind of thinking in her head saying, well, you know what, if I use the one power, I think the final line is, uh, you know, I can use it, woman. Uh, you told me yourself. I can use it against you. So, bam. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> so, should I say, boom. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, you know, the, the, the chapter ends with Nadine kind of still being spiteful against Aes Sedai in general, but especially Moraine. Like, she does not like the fact that Moraine's come into their, their quiet village life and just ripped everything apart. And she has just a lot of hatred towards Moraine. I mean, there's, it's, it's very evident. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, and it's big, we, we've got to draw, we got to go backwards just a second. Um, first off, I want to just highlight uh, Nynaeve's again, self doubt. 
because yeah. she's like, no, I'll have nothing to do with. And then she said, with what? Myself. And she said, I'd ask you not to tell anyone about this, please. Yeah. Like she realizes there's so much truth to this. And now I can see myself. It's kind of like uh, somebody coming out for the first time. Like they know that there's something different about them. They know that they are, are slightly different than those around them. And they have this internal struggle. And then finally, somebody's like, well, we already knew this about you. Like, you just haven't figured it out about yourself. Like, I, I have a few friends that were like that before they came out to the public. It was just like, we already knew you. We were just waiting yeah. on you to figure it out or to, to come out about it. Um, so that was like her coming out. And then you have Lan, who's just like a part of the pattern, question mark. And then you get the perhaps I should have spoken to men again. So we have men coming back into play. Men said I. Ability for men said I. Never since they men's and men's and I said I, but <laughs> I say it. I say it. Okay, you and, it. I, and, and I figured before they were looking for an I said I that was already there, so I thought there was one <laughs> other. Okay, I, I feel Fair like enough. Moraine. I, I don't have it highlighted. I should have, but when when one of them was talking about it, they said, "Oh, uh, I was hoping to find it." But something in the effect of like, and it it seemed as if they meant to say uh, "Sadai" after that, but did not. So I think the author hinted at it too. Sure. <laughs> I think she's something more than an Sadai. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Any any other things? Don't say yeah like that. You're not allowed to say yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ian can say yeah however often he wants. You, Alan, are not allowed to say yeah. Uh, Your yeah comes with like thirty pages of bullshit. Right. It's got got some weight to it. You just say sure and shake the ice in your glass. Okay. Let's stay in your lane. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything anything from these chats before we wrap up? <laughs> uh, I think it's hilarious that Nynaeve gets super excited about Lan going to get her horse because she's like, dude ain't going to find yeah. my horse. And then he oh, finds yeah. her horse. So it's like just a little kick in the pants. And she's like, dang yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, it, you know, it goes back to the, the chapters, a couple chapters ago when Nynaeve followed Lan's trail and Lan was a little upset about that. Like they're starting to have this little back and forth between the two of them about little tit for tat. I like it. I do. But I think it's respectful. (laughs) I think they both recognize each other's skill to the point where like when one can outdo the other, there's like a head nod that goes with it. Like, ah, touche. Well done. Good deal. Yeah. Anything else from this? They're going to have a thing between the two of them. Oh, between Nynaeve and Lan? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That, That I'd like to see happen. Okay. So forget the naive and, and ran. Like that's one thought, but I think <laughs> you know this could, might be her starting point. <laughs> she might make her way around the other guys. <laughs> sure. All right. Uh, Anything else from these chapters? I mean, we did also go through the last chapter. I know we kind of already touched that, but I think. Uh, I think anything else that you guys think of? No, I'm excited to keep reading. 
All right. So next week we're going to actually be doing three. So we're back to on the three train. Um, so we're doing the next three chapter chapters, which is a path chosen, wolf wolf brother, and then uh, the flight a flight down the Arenal. So uh, I don't know if Choices. you guys want to dig into that. Choices. Choices. We'll see. We'll see what they <laughs> we'll mean by that. that. Yeah, so those are the next three chapters. We'll be covering those next week. Um, and then um, I'll just go into my normal routine. So how to find us. We can be found on social media, lots of different ways. Uh, uh, we're on Instagram, on Facebook, on, uh, on, on, on Twitter, at The Wheel Reads, and all three of those is the, is the handle there. Uh, the Wheel Reads at gmail.com is our email address. You can email us anytime there. Also, we have a fabulous Discord. Um, we've been talking about possibly doing uh, more live episodes. We're, we're going to do live episodes for our Patreons. That's something we have in there. Um, I know the Black Tower did last night a live episode for all everyone. They open. They normally only do it for the Patreons. They open up for everyone because of this coronavirus. Everybody's kind of at home looking for things to do. Um, um, I, I don't. We, me, Chris, and Ian have to talk more about it and figure it out. But maybe next week, if we're all still in quarantine and we can figure out a way to do it, we might do something similar. Um, we'll see. But that's something that um, that we might do. But join our Discord. That's where we're going to do it. So um, if you guys are listening and haven't joined the Discord yet, that link's also down below. Click on that link, join our Discord. It's a great way to talk to us. Um, also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have the Patreon. Uh, that's a good way to give to us. There's lots and lots of things that we want. Um, uh, not, that not just for us, but for you guys as well. So, I mean, we want better recording equipment. We want better services, better things like that. But also, I want to start doing a lot more giveaways um, to our Patreons, to our Discord, to our Twitter followers, to our Facebook followers, just, just a way to give back to you guys. So the more you guys give, the more I'm going to give back. That's kind of like priority number one. And then everything else will follow. I did the math. I think we need like over a thousand Patreons before we actually start taking a dollar for ourselves. So, um, which would be great if we get to that point. Would love you guys. <laughs> but, but, uh, but the point is, anything that you donate to us is going to go either to making this podcast better or back to you guys in the form of giveaways. So things like swag and and books and things like that that you guys can actually have. So uh, think about it. Uh, if you don't want to, that's fine too. You can just listen to us, but um, it's just another way of helping support us and 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 doing all those things. Um, and then also any service you listen to uh, this on, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Google Podcast or wherever you do listen, um, uh, make sure you do subscribe to us and like us and and share us with your friends. Um, you know, we're always looking for for new listeners, and we're getting new listeners every day. I mean, I watch the analytics and see you know i go back and look at our first episode and and i get new new listeners you know new unique listeners on the first episode every day so i know there's new people coming to our podcast that you know i i love that you guys are continuing to listen to us but it makes me even more excited when i find someone that just found us so you know because that's just going to add that number as they catch back up so um uh, keep on sharing it uh, let other people know we're out there so anything else you guys want to add Hey, Ian, it sounds like uh, Alan wants to invite us over for Dark and Stormies next week, and then we can just do a roundtable discussion and do that live with everybody. <laughs> sounds awesome. I'm game. <laughs> Cheers. That would be Until one way of getting that done. 
<laughs> All right. Till next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.